Our second New Testament reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. You can find that in the, uh, in the Pew Bible that the church provides on page 901. Again, this is John 14, 15 through 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. As we, uh, as we get ready to get into this passage, we're going to pray in a moment, but I just have a couple of side comments. First, I just want to thank you for coming and sharing again about pregnancy support services. Um, my granddaughter is alive and in our family because of a ministry like you have. And uh, it's a significant, significant, important contribution to our community. I urge you after the service to go back and spend some time and learn more about what PSS is doing. And, um, and also be thinking and praying for our community in the area of pregnancy support services and pray for our community in the area of, of adoption and foster care such a critical, critical area of ministry and that we have many members of our community here involved in and invested in. Um, and if you want to know more about those things, just contact our office and we'll get you information about that, first of all. Second of all, I want to thank Steve Hobson and thank Matt Mela. Uh, they just have completed the classes that they were teaching for the last five weeks on Sunday morning. I just can't tell you how amazing these classes have been. And I'm so grateful for, for the contribution that they have given to us. And I really want to urge you to come next week for our combined Sunday morning uh, time together, our, our combined SMC. We're going to be talking about 
the future of this church and the directions of what we're doing right now. And the, and the uh, pastoral search committee is going to be reporting to us. And we're going to be sharing a lot of different ideas and things that you want to know about and you have questions about. We want to be able to respond to your questions. So please come next week uh, for that time together. And we will be getting an email out to you to let you know where exactly that's going to be and, and how that, the details of that's going to work out. Okay? Let's pray together before we get into God's Word. Father in heaven, thank you for this important passage from John 14 where Jesus is speaking to the disciples. We pray, Lord, you'd open our hearts and our minds to how these verses impacted them and their ministry and impact us both individually and as a congregation. Guide us by your Holy Spirit now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't have to tell you that relationships are not simplistic. The, the, the simplest example of this that some of us have experienced and others of us haven't yet but probably will is the whole idea of marriage. We, we, we get to know an individual, we fall in love with that person, we commit ourselves to them and we have a wedding ceremony and we think when we come to that wedding ceremony that we actually know who we're getting married to. We don't even begin to understand who we're married to. Uh, I've been married now for over 40 years to my wife, and I am still learning all kinds of things about her, and she's discovering things about me, and we're having surprises and new things that we're learning. It's not just marriage, though. You bring a baby into the house. A new relationship is formed, and it is not simple. It is confusing, and it causes all kinds of new challenges to us. But this happens in all levels of relationship. You get to know somebody, and the more you get to know them, the more patience you have to exercise, the more understanding is necessary. Relationships are not simplistic. They're complicated. And guess what? The same is true in our relationship with God. We think we know what we're getting into. <laughs> we hear the good news of the gospel. Eternal life, forgiveness of sins. And that's fantastic, and it's all true. But as we enter into a relationship with the living God, it goes deeper. And we begin reading things that Jesus said, like, if the person wants to follow me, they must give up all rights to themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. And we see stories of people in the Bible, like Joseph in the Old Testament, or like Simon Peter in the New Testament, or others, and we find that as they grow into their relationship with God, it's not simplistic. It's not just an easy road. God isn't just some kind of a, an eternal vending machine that just gives us what we want when we want it. No, it's an interpersonal relationship. And just like marriage is mysterious, the relationship we have with God is mysterious. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his thoughts from our thoughts. And we grapple and struggle to seek to understand what God is doing and why he's doing it. And he is working his purposes out. Our relationship with God is not simplistic. The disciples in the passage that we've been, passages we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks in John, 
were learning that. Things weren't going the way that they expected. They hooked up with Jesus and they thought, this is the Messiah. He's come. He's going to solve our problems. He's going to bring the kingdom in. And life is going to be changed. And things weren't going the way they expected. Following the Messiah is not simplistic. And in this passage this morning, we saw last week and the week before that, and this passage this morning, we also see that the disciples are confused. Jesus is saying things to them like, I'm leaving. I'm going away, but I'm going to come again. And they're going, what, what's going on here? We can't necessarily put all this together. And so because of that, we see that Jesus wants to give them assurance. He says, you're not going to be abandoned. You're not going to be an orphan. Let me tell you how I, how I will be with you. Let me tell you how I'm going to support you and encourage you and teach you even after I am physically gone. And so in this passage, we see at least three things that Jesus wants to stress to the disciples as he tells them, I am leaving you. I will come again, but I'm going to be leaving you, and then I'm going to the Father. And as they're grappling with these things, he says, there's these three things I want you to be assured of as you walk through this experience with me. And these things you're going to discover are important for us to understand in our walk with God as well. The first thing that we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus reinstates the basis of their relationship to him and to one another. You'll see in verse 15, he says, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. In these verses, Jesus is going back again to chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also love one another. Now, where, what he's doing here is he is restating to them the basis of their relationship to him and his relationship to them and their relationship to one another. Now, what is this basis? It is not that Jesus is saying, you must earn my love by keeping my commandments. He's, he's not saying to them, if you're going to make it in my kingdom, you've got to keep my commandments. You've got to show me you're good enough. You've got to show me by your performance that you really will merit being in my kingdom. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus, in this, each one of these passages starts with love. He says, I want you, in John 13, I want you to love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. And he says, this commandment I give to you, that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, Jesus starts with love, and he says, obeying his commandments is the natural response of being loved by him. 
just like a child who seeks to love their parent obeys their parent not because the parent says, if you don't obey me, you're out of the family. But in, in a healthy context, the child is learning that obedience is as a response of love to the parent, not out of a response of just sheer obligation. Now, I know that has to be worked out in every family system. But you see, if the parent's motivation is to love their child, the child is going to learn to respond to that love. And slowly but surely, that child is going to gain an understanding that my best motivation is to show mom and dad I love them by what we're doing. The foundation of the relationship is love. Now, the challenge here is we all fall short. Our motivation might say, I want to believe God. I want to follow Christ. I want to keep his word. But I keep blowing it. And the good news of the gospel is that because he loves us, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the promise there is his motivation of love to keep the commandments, and when we blow it, he continues to love us, and he forgives us. We might say something like, Lord, I love your scriptures, but you've got to help me understand, and even more than that, you've got to help me learn what it means to obey them. That's going to bring us to our second point. But before, before I share the second point, let me simply say this. If someone claims to be a follower of Jesus and doesn't give a rip about Christ's commands, then love must be missing. And there's a real question about whether that person really understands the heart of the Father and has experienced the love of Jesus for them in their life. So, how do we respond to the commandments of God? As a sheer obligation or as a response to a loving Father? And as we can't respond out of love, sometimes we fail and we blow it, how, how do we grow? Well, this, like I said, brings us to our second point. The great news is that we not only have his commandments and are called to love him by obeying his commandments, but he doesn't leave us alone. The second point is that Jesus promises to provide us with another helper, the Holy Spirit, to confirm his love for us and to support us as we seek to live for him by following his commandments. This is the promised Holy Spirit. He says in verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, forever, even the spirit of truth. Now you have to understand that Jesus is first giving this promise to his disciples and up to this point in the Gospel of John, very little has been said about the Holy Spirit. 
But these verses kick off a full series of teachings where Jesus is going to talk about the Spirit of God and the role he'll have in their lives and the role he has in our life. This is only the beginning, folks. We're going to see the Spirit showing up in Jesus' teaching now from over the next few weeks. But in this passage in particular, there's at least five things that Jesus shares with the apostles and with us about the Spirit's work in our lives. Each one of these could be a sermon in and of itself. Trust me, I'm not going to do that to you. But I just want to share with you these five things that Jesus says to the disciples, recognizing that they're confused, that they're disoriented, that they're wondering what's happening. And he said, I want you to know how God the Father and I want to care for you as we move on through through my sacrifice, through the cross, through my resurrection, and into the ministry of the church. The first thing he says is he calls the Spirit our paraclete, and he says, I'm going to send the, I'll ask the Father and he will give you the paraclete. And, and, and there is not a good translation for this word paraclete, the, e, the ESV translated another helper to be with you. Another translation might say an advocate or a friend of the court. And in that role, the Spirit of God comes before the, the throne of God and defends us and is with us. He also works for the court, by the way, by convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. We'll see that later as we get into chapter 16. But this paraclete comes alongside of us. Other translations that try to get their heads wrapped around the word paraclete are counselor, helper, encourager, strengthener. The Spirit of God comes alongside of us and is there for us to support us and to encouragement. The second thing he says is this paraclete is the spirit of truth who will lead us into all truth. And so when we study the Bible and we're seeking to understand it and how it fits into our lives, into our families, into our, our culture and our world, we pray to the spirit of truth and we say, Lord God of all truth, please guide me in your truth and help me understand it. And Jesus says, I have given the spirit of truth to do for you just that. The third thing he says is that the Spirit has literally come to dwell in us. In verses 17 and 18, and this is mind-boggling, Jesus says, he dwells with you, but he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. When a person receives Christ, he or she receives the Spirit. And Jesus says this isn't some kind of ethereal thing. This is an intimate bonding. Verse 20, Jesus says, I am in the Father. The Father is in me, and you are in us. Get this. Earlier, last week we saw Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions or many houses or dwellings and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And now Jesus turns it around and he says, while I'm going to prepare a place for you simultaneously, 
I'm joining with the Father, and we're making a dwelling place in you. So you don't have to wait till you get to the dwelling place above. You have us with you right now. Jesus in me. Paul says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. When a person comes to Christ, the living, holy God literally comes to dwell within us. Therefore, the scriptures say, your body is a temple of the living God. Paul says, dedicate your bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your spiritual service of worship. Why? Because he has come to dwell within you. The fourth thing Jesus says here is that the Holy Spirit will set Christians apart from the world. In verse 17, he says, The world neither sees him nor knows him. What he's doing here is making a clear distinction between the world and the realm of the Spirit. The world's interests are in areas other than the Spirit of God. The world shuts itself off from the reception to the Spirit. They're not interested to the Spirit or the things of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that the world is under the, the influence of the... the uh, 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 let's see if I get this right. Um, this, before you're in Christ, you're under the influence of Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. But when you come to Christ, the Spirit of God comes inside of you and it makes you distinct from what's going on in the world. As I said, the, the Spirit still will have a ministry and influence in the world, convicting it of sin and righteousness of judgment. But he says, I am in you. And you have been set apart from the world. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The fifth thing that Jesus says here is the Spirit will teach us. In verse 26, it says that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, let me say that this, there's two layers to this promise in verse 26. The first layer is the specific promise to the apostles. Jesus is saying, you guys have seen a lot. You've heard a lot. There's no way you can remember everything. And even if you did remember it, you wouldn't probably get it correct by yourself. You need to have a helper who comes alongside of you and helps you figure these things out and remember the things that have happened to you so that you can then teach the church to understand who I am and what I am about. The reason we have the scriptures in the New Testament and the Old Testament is because the Spirit of God has helped those apostles and others understand and remember what was happening and teach them. So the promise, first of all, is directly to the apostles to whom he is speaking. Secondarily, it applies to us because the Spirit dwells in us and teaches us on the basis of what the apostles have passed down to us. So we see these five things that Jesus describes. But the most important thing is this. 
The Holy Spirit is God taking up residence in you and establishing and continuing a personal relationship with you as an individual if you are a follower of Christ. <coughs> the Holy Spirit is more than a theological idea, more than a creedal confession. The Holy Spirit is to be experienced. So I ask each one of us this morning, have you been born again? Have you experienced the ministry of the Spirit in your life? Do you know what it's, what it's like to, be, to experience the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing that comes through repentance by His Spirit? Do you know that you've been set apart from the world? That the Spirit has come to dwell within you and to lead you into all truth? To be your paraclete? To teach you things that you need to know about Him? This is the promise that he's given to every believer. Search your soul. How have you seen this and experienced this? And then thank God for him giving you the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, the promise is for you. And for all those who are far off, to come into a relationship by, in him by receiving the spirit of God into your life, asking him to forgive you of your sins and to guide you and to direct you into all truth. The first thing we see that Jesus said is I've given you my commandments and I'm calling you out of love for you and your love for me to obey my commandments. The second thing is that he hasn't left us alone. He's given us his paraclete, his comforter, to be with us and support us. The third thing we need to see in this passage is that Jesus promises us his peace. In verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you notice when I just read that and we had it read earlier, Twice Jesus stresses to them that he gives them peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus isn't promising to give his disciples an easy road. He doesn't promise to keep us from trouble. But he promises to give the peace of Christ regardless of the circumstances. In Romans 5, 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 7, Paul says, The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 26, 3 says, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. Again, that doesn't mean it keeps us free from troubles or physical challenges or circumstantial anxieties, but he promises something deeper. We just heard in the announcements a few minutes ago that we're going into 2024 and we're going to face some challenges in 2024. We're going to face some anxieties. When you turn on CNN or you turn on Fox News, or you turn on MSNBC, or wherever you go to try to find your information. What do you hear? 
peace be with you? No, you hear anxiety. You hear tension. You hear problems and troubles. Oh, we got troubles, my friend. And what do all the things that you hear, where are the, what are the promises throughout the rest of this year? What promises are you going to be hearing? How I'm going to solve the problems. Friends, let me be blunt. Nikki Haley, Joe Biden, and Donald Trump are not the Messiah. Four years from now, a whole another group of people are going to say, look at the problems we have. Did they solve the problems? <laughs> Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Church of the Good Shepherd and every Bible-preaching, believing church in Durham should demonstrate to this community and to Chapel Hill and to North Carolina that God will keep us in perfect peace regardless of who is voted upon and who comes into positions of power. And that we have a peace that passes human understanding and will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we have pie in the sky by and by? No. I want you to understand what's going on in the world. I want you to understand the concerns. I want you to grasp and see the anxieties. But I don't want you to be overwhelmed by them, Jesus says. I've overcome the world. Peace I leave to you. And he will super, supernaturally intercede on our behalf by his spirit as we face all these issues. So in conclusion, Jesus is saying to us this morning that our relationship with Christ is founded in love and that love compels us to keep his commandments. But he doesn't leave us alone. He promises to give us another helper, the Holy Spirit, to confirm his love to us and to support us as we live for him. And he promises to give us a peace that passes human understanding as he guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I had the privilege in seminary to have my seminary president, Dr. Robert G. Rayburn. And Dr. Rayburn was a very fascinating and interesting man. But I'll never forget in chapel one day he told us a story of an experience he had that talks about all three of these things, the peace of Christ, the spirit of God, and obeying his commandments fitting together. Dr. Rabin was a chaplain in World War II, and he served in, uh, in the Army. And after the war was over, he decided, I'm going to stay in the reserves. That'll be an opportunity for me to continue to serve, and it's going to help the church I serve in. And, and he just thought, good reasons for that. Five years later comes the Korean conflict. He's still in the reserves. But he's told by the people in, in, in his reserve unit, he says, don't worry about it, chaplain. There's so many more young men that, that, that are younger than you are. They're going to be the ones who are called up to serve. You're okay. 
And then two weeks later, he gets a letter calling him up to serve in the armed forces during the Korean conflict. So he calls up and says, what about this? And they said, well, listen, we know you're called up, but don't worry about it because you're older and you've already served in, 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 in uh, theaters of war. You're going to probably, do, we'll just have you stay here in the United States and coordinate things behind the scenes and let the young men take care of things overseas. Till two months later, when he gets called and said, you're going to Korea. So he asks about that. Don't worry about it, chaplain. We have younger men there to take care of being in, this, in the field. We're going to ask you to be there to be able to take care of things behind the scenes. He gets to Korea. And where's his assignment? The 82nd Airborne Division. And he has not had one second of training with the Airborne. And he gets assigned to go on a mission where the 82nd Airborne was going to be dropped behind enemy lines. And he goes and reports and he's given five minutes of training on how to handle things with your parachute. And then he joins the, the, the rest of the men and they get on board the plane. And they're flying, getting ready to go for the drop. How would you feel? He said, I started to pray. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on thee. The peace of the Lord that passes human understanding will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, he landed on Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shadow of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. And you know what happened? He fell asleep. He fell asleep until they came to the drop spot and one of the, the, the drop master had to come up and shake him and say, chaplain, wake up, it's time to go. By God's grace, he jumped out of that plane and he landed where the rest of the guys landed and he, and, and he was able to do ministry. But you know what happened from that point on for the rest of the time he was in Korea? Person after person came up to say, excuse me, sir, are you the one who fell asleep? Because none of us could fall asleep. All of us were scared spitless. And you fell asleep. And he was able to tell them the only way he was able to fall asleep was because his mind was stayed on the one who was in control. Peace I live to give to you. My peace I give to you. 
If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will send the Spirit of God. And he will build you up and support you regardless of the circumstances. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for these deep, dear promises that you've given us in your scriptures. Lord, I don't know the various circumstances that my friends in, the, in this sanctuary are going through. There are some people who are very anxious about their jobs. There are others who are in conflict in a relationship and they, and they haven't been able to work it out. Father, there's others who are looking for help and understanding in what they're facing. Thank you that you said, I have given the spirit, not as a simplistic, simple answer to complicated issues, but to come alongside of you and to walk with you, whether it's through a jumping out of an airplane or talking to the person or asking forgiveness or whatever the circumstance. Thank you that you've given us your spirit. Now, Lord, by your spirit, help us to love you by walking in your commandments, we pray, and to trust you with all of our hearts and lean not under our own understanding. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.